0: Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining me. I am Chris, the pastor at Compass, and thrilled to have you with me. So today, let me pose you a hypothetical question. Imagine that I made you a fruit smoothie because I just knew that you loved fruit smoothies, but I added a little protein powder to it because I wanted to give it a little bit of kick. Make it a little bit more healthy for you. You taste the smoothie and you love it. It tastes delicious. I mean, it has all the fruit you like in it. It's exactly what you like. Now, after you drank most of it, I said, hey, you wanna know what kind of protein powder I put in that? And you're like, is it something common? Is it like whey or plant protein? And I said, no. It's a protein powder derived entirely from insects. Now, here's my question. Would you drink it again? Knowing that you drank a smoothie full of ground-up crickets and mealworms, knowing that there was another one there, would you drink another bug protein smoothie? This is a tougher question for people than it seems, because even though the smoothie was delicious and you loved it, it was full of an ingredient that deep down most people think is disgusting. And if we are certain deep down that we don't like something, it usually doesn't matter if it tastes delicious or not. We already believe we won't like it, so we don't like it. I mean, bugs are gross, therefore, it doesn't matter if the smoothie tasted good or not. Somehow in our minds, it's still just wrong. See, what we believe about a thing will often overrule what we perceive about it, which isn't a huge deal when it comes to food, but it is a bigger deal when it comes to larger issues in life, things like our faith. Now, whether you're a person of faith or not, we all have beliefs and certainties about God, the Bible, Jesus, and how all that stuff should apply to our lives. And the question we need to ask ourselves is this, does my certainty about religious issues line up with what's true? Or is my certainty actually preventing me from seeing what is true? Now, differences of opinion on what's true or not are totally understandable between Christians and people who aren't Christians. But What about when when followers of Jesus have certainties that don't line up with each other? I mean, we all read the same Bible, and, and we would say we all follow the same God. So why are there differences in many of the deeply held and important beliefs that we have about him? And what do we do about that? I mean, for example, some Christians believe that you can't get into heaven at all unless you're baptized. Some don't believe that. Some Christians believe that women can't serve as pastors or teach men. Uh, Some think that God does miracles today, while there are others who believe that everything supernatural ended in the first century. Some Christians believe that Catholics are heretics and only Protestants are people of faith. Some believe the earth was created in six literal days, while others believe in complete evolution and they believe the others are basically heretics and completely wrong. I mean, even when it comes to Jesus alone, different Christians believe that Jesus was a pacifist or he was a warrior in support of just violence, uh, that he's against abortion, but he's for the death penalty, uh, that Jesus would march with Black Lives Matter protesters or that he would march in support of police. Some think Jesus wants us to be rich and healthy, while others think he expects us to embrace poverty and suffering. People think Jesus is white, black, brown, uh, and that he's influenced by the cultural implications of each of those races. There's so much certainty and division in the church about who Jesus is and what he wants that I can't help but wonder if this isn't a Jesus problem, but it's an us problem. And if it is an us problem, it's been an us problem since Jesus's day because in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus told a parable about religious certainty in those who hold on to it. But before we go there, I need to remind you of a a few things. And the first is that the people of Israel were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Savior who would rescue them from Roman rule, who would restore the sovereign nation of Israel and then be their king. And there were a lot of different thoughts on what the Messiah would look like. But the one certainty is that he was going to conquer Rome and rule over his people. As a result, the people were always looking to any new spiritual, political, or revolutionary leader who might fit the bill as the Messiah. Second thing I just want to remind you of is that John the Baptist was a well-known spiritual leader at the time who people thought might be the guy. I mean, he looked like an Old Testament prophet because he did the weird things that Old Testament prophets did, like wearing animal hides or living in the wilderness, eating bugs, But John the Baptist was a serious spiritual leader, so he was in that mix. And then the third thing, just we need to know for background, is that John the Baptist thought Jesus was the Messiah that they were looking for. So, knowing all that, let's look at Jesus' parable about religious certainty in Matthew 11, verse 16. He says, To what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs, and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Jesus compares the people's search for answers from God, search for Messiah, to spoiled children playing a game. And they're upset because their friends didn't dance when they were playing wedding songs, and their friends didn't mourn when they were playing funeral songs in this game. And with this story, he gives us an image of the people he was talking to, the people of his day. People who were playing what they wanted, and they were expecting their friends to respond accordingly. And this was an image of the people of Israel. You see, they were so certain that when the Messiah came that he would dance to their tune, that he would look and sound like exactly what they expected, that he would be exactly what they wanted him to be. And conversely, anyone who didn't dance to their tune was a disappointment because clearly he's not part of what God is doing. So why does this matter? Well, earlier in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man who had ever lived up to that point in terms of how God used people. And Jesus himself believed that he was the Jewish Messiah. And in spite of these two true things, the people of Israel couldn't see it. Not only could they not see it, but some people thought that John the Baptist was demon-possessed because of his weird self-denial, while others said that Jesus was a drunk and a glutton for how he partied and hung out with sinners. According to Jesus, the two people that God was changing the world through were standing right in front of the people, but the people couldn't see it. And why? Because of their religious certainty. See, they were certain that when God danced, it would be to their tune. And they were so sure of what they believed to be true that they missed what was actually true, even though it was right in front of their faces. And look at what Jesus says next in verse 19. He says, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Okay, so what does that mean? What what are the results that Jesus is talking about here? Well, remember, this whole conversation Jesus is having started when John the Baptist, who's having some doubts about Jesus being the Messiah, sent his followers to ask about it. And this is what happened in Matthew 11, 3-4, just a refresher. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? That was John the Baptist's followers. Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Okay, so at the beginning, John asked if Jesus was the Messiah. And how did Jesus respond? Jesus said, Look at the results. People are being healed. The blind see, the deaf hear, the good news is being preached to the poor. It doesn't matter what you think or what you're looking for or whether you have doubts. Jesus is like, these are the results of what God is doing through me. And wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Okay, remember how what we believe about something will affect how we perceive it. So, I mean, even if a bug smoothie is delicious, if we believe that eating bugs is gross, it's going to be hard for us to like it. That's what religious certainty does. The people were certain that when God did something, it would look a certain way. And when it didn't, rather than let go of their certainty and adjust to what God was actually doing, Instead, they rejected John the Baptist. They rejected Jesus. Their religious certainty made it impossible to accept and to be part of what God was actually doing. And when Jesus says wisdom is shown to be right by its results, he's saying, look at what I'm doing, not what you think I should be doing. But the dangers of religious certainty they actually go beyond just kind of missing out on what God is doing. And after pointing out how their religious certainty was keeping people from seeing what was true, Jesus gave another warning about how dangerous it can actually be in verse 11, or in chapter 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon would have been better off on judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum, Capernaum was Jesus' home base. It's where he lived and did most of his ministry. You people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Now, we talked about the city of Sodom several weeks ago. To the Jewish people, Sodom was a symbol of complete and total wickedness and depravity. Tyre and Sidon, the other two cities that Jesus referenced, they were much the same. They were city-states that had attacked and oppressed Israel. And, And the thing about all three of these cities is they were all known as being destroyed by God for their sin and for opposing God's people. These were pagan Gentile cities full of people that the good religious Jews would have found absolutely abhorrent. But Jesus said, That when everyone stands before God, it'll be better for the pagan, foreign God-worshipping warlike cities of Sodom and Tyre than it would be for the religious chosen people of God in the good Jewish towns where Jesus had been traveling and teaching. Why? Because according to Jesus, the people in those evil cities would have seen the results of what Jesus was doing and responded to it in a way that the religious Jewish people didn't. And if you've ever wondered why Jesus wasn't just super clear about being the Messiah and was just like, hey, buddy, I'm the Messiah. Here's a miracle to prove it. I'm the guy. Well, the reason is, is because it wouldn't have mattered. The people weren't looking for religious answers. They were looking for religious confirmation of what they already believed to be true. I mean, The people in the towns Jesus was talking about, they saw blind people see. They saw deaf people hear and lame people walk. They saw dead people raised to life. But it still wasn't enough for them to believe. Because no matter what he did, Jesus didn't dance to the tune that they were playing the way that they were certain the Messiah should and would. And Jesus makes a shocking point with his comparison of good Jews to wicked pagans. And it's a point that all religious people need to be be aware of, and it's this. Those who claim to be God's people tend to be the most hard-hearted hearers of all. Religious people who have it all figured out tend to be those who have the hardest time seeing and responding to Jesus. Because for many, it, it doesn't really matter what's actually right. What matters is what they want to be right. And the sad truth of what Jesus is saying is that our religious certainty can actually move us farther from truth than those who don't even follow Jesus in the first place. You see, our our faith, it's like a house that we're building a little at a time. And, And some of that house is handed to us as kids or when we first become Christians. And some of that house is built ourselves. But for all of us, it's this structure that we build Of faith so that we can understand our relationship with Jesus. And it's a house in which he can live. And so we build rooms to hold our beliefs about relationships, sex, politics, money, violence, law, what the world should look like, what we think is right and wrong, and and who we think God is. And we are certain that this is what a house of faith should look like. Otherwise, we wouldn't have built it that way. But Jesus is warning to us, is to be careful not to to build a big, beautiful house of faith where all of our certainty fits perfectly, but that doesn't have space for Jesus. I mean, that's why he said this in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, there are ways in which religion and religious certainty can blind you to the simple, pure, and loving way of Jesus. There are ways in which religious certainty can fool you into thinking that you are building a house on a firm foundation of faith in Jesus when instead you're building a fragile sandcastle of faith on your own certainty, where you're playing a song and you're waiting for Jesus to dance to it instead of letting him set the rhythms of your life. Because when you only look for a God who will do what you want and expect, it allows extraneous doctrines, wrong ideas about God, and wrong attitudes about culture to become attached to our faith. And when that happens, just like the people who literally saw Jesus do miracles right in front of them, we can miss out on who he really is and what he's really doing in the world. So what do we do? Well, I recommend this. Read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. It's Jesus' manifesto on understanding and living in his kingdom. Read it every day for a week or two, and then ask yourself this Are the religious certainties that matter most to me reflected here? In the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus concerned with the cultural, political, and religious issues that define? who I think God is, and what I think God really wants. Because as you read and reflect on the core teachings of Jesus, you may find a difference between what's there and in the things that you've allowed to become core to your religious expression, the things that you are certain about. The thing is, religious certainty is not a badge of honor. It's not the goal of following Jesus, and it's not even his expectation for you. Faith is, faith that is worked out by consistently following him, having an open heart to him, having eyes to see and ears to hear him. Faith, not certainty. And then finally, if hearing all of this, if you are wondering, well, Chris, what can we be certain of? I'll just say this, join us next week as we continue talking about exactly that, in our series about doubt and certainty. And I will see you then. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.